Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hello. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Ferwin, here with our podcast intern, Nico McNarty. Say hello. Hello. And I'm also here with Stan Pipkin and Chris Klinga, two of the founders of the Architectural Solar Association. And to uh, keep this quick and easy for the interviewer, Stan, let's start with you. Would you please describe in your own words uh, how you ended up as co-founder of ASA? Well, thanks, Christoph and Nico. Um, really, uh, really happy to be a part of this and appreciate you guys uh, having us. Um, yeah, my, my, my journey, I think like many that have come into the solar industry, you know, came from somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I was uh, uh, studied and got a master's in architecture and had imagined that I would sort of work my way through the architectural profession by hook or crook and um, started down that path. And at some point, um, just felt something was missing, uh, kind of a big hole in it. Mm. I, I labeled it energy at the time. I didn't really know what that meant, um, but I just felt like uh, my slice of the profession was was missing that. And so I um, took an interest in energy writ large and kind of backpedaled into uh, running a solar company as many um, solar companies started, um, but have carried that forward really with a mission to try to bridge that gap for me, for myself personally, and try to put that into practice. Um, and in that space, that's about 15 years in the making. I've had the pleasure to work with Chris Klinga, uh, both um, under the same roof at some point, um, mm-hmm. working um, on uh, products and solutions that sort of uh, are trying to feed this divide. And then ultimately, uh, Helping to start uh, ASA, Architectural Solar Association, that we'll we'll talk a little bit more about. Oh, a good bit more about. Yeah, well, well said. So, just for you guys listening, uh, Stan under undersold himself. He's not only been running Lighthouse Solar since two thousand and seven, or, or co-managed. He also has an architectural practice. He also has a research and de- design collective. These pro- these have been going on for twenty years, and he also has been supporting and organizing. I guess forming, supporting, and organizing a nonprofit that works in Kenya uh, to support orphan children. He built a school and housing campus. So, this is a man wearing many, many hats. We're really honored to have you. Um, And Chris Klinga, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you uh, came to be associated with ASA. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Christoph and Nico. It's a pleasure to be here. I started my journey as a mechanical engineer at the University of Colorado in Boulder, where I still reside today. And mm. when I left school, I had uh, desires to work in the climbing industry. Um, you say climbing, I, not climate. Uh, climbing, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, my my dream was to design climbing gear, and oh, awesome! Um, that that dream kind of led me circuitously to. Um, Scott Franklin, who is an, uh, is a climber and uh, founded a solar company, and he convinced me 
to join uh, Lighthouse Solar, which was the, the company he founded in Boulder, uh, the company uh, that that Stan's a part of and today and runs. And I I was a mechanical engineer. Scott had a vision to grow a product uh, in the solar industry, um, and I love product development. So and, and you know the thought of of helping the environment and doing something in uh, solar was really appealing. So I, I pivoted and, uh, and ended up there. And, um, uh, over that journey over about a 10 plus year period, I, uh, helped Scott develop a product line that was, uh, a more architectural approach on, uh, solar panels. So, uh, making solar look beautiful and Stan was, was a big part of that, uh, journey. And, at, at about the 10 year mark, we decided that the, uh, the Architectural Solar Association was a great idea because we really needed to get the two industries to be integrated with one another. If products like the products we were designing were going to see widespread adoption. So the ASA was formed in 2016. And at that time, I also started uh, my own consulting business, uh, Soul Motive Design, where we are focused mm -hmm. on helping real estate developers and architects uh, and building product companies integrate solar into their either product suites or um, projects. Uh, and so here I am today uh, uh, trying to educate the, the industry uh, via the ASA so that um, I can essentially uh, teach them everything that I know uh, to accelerate the industry further. Excellent. I love it. And I, I hadn't appreciate the climbing angle. Um... Because growing this industry, growing this connection between the architectural industry and the solar industry, it's kind of like lead climbing. You know, you don't want to get too far past your anchor, but uh, you are venturing beyond safety or beyond the norm, the comfort zone. Certainly. So Stan, maybe, maybe you'd be a good person to, uh, to talk about sort of the philosophical underpinnings of the Architectural Solar Association and maybe the, you know, the poignancy of having a building, which is a collection of materials, have a material associated with it that generates energy. Um, yeah, no, I, th and I think, I think it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think as, as Chris and I have described, we've, we've kind of backpedaled into, you know, a collaborative relationship. And I would say um, the fact that we didn't start with a, you know, kind of a poignant philosophical departure point is, is part of the challenge that we have um, to, to bridge the gap between these two industries. Cause the, in the architectural industry and the building industry, um, it's been very busy. Um, it's been busy reforming itself, um, changing you know practices, developing new new materials um, in response to you know changing customer demand and yeah. demands of climate change. So that's a that's a dynamic unto itself. Um, in our economy in the U.S., I mean, we we sort of build ourselves out of the holes. So that's there's there's a lot of energy in that just cultural energy. I'd say on the solar side, um, you know, it started with, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a mission driven industry, but it's become a global juggernaut. Mm -hmm. um, it's proven itself through cost efficiencies and been very busy on trying to solve, you know, the inherent challenges of delivering clean, you know, reliable and cheap energy. Um, so those two trains are heavily loaded, moving quickly, and sometimes at, at uh, you know, very much on parallel tracks, but 
maybe not in sight of one another. And I think the um, ASA, we've taken the approach to say, um, this is not that complicated to just state the fact that, you know, every building should be considering energy as a, as a core part of its function. And then um, from there, it should be a part of the architecture. So Architectural Solar Association is really architectural solar. And so we see that as a broad rubric that um, captures, you know, all of the innovation and nuance and energy creativity of the solar industry and puts it into, you know, the, the maturity of the architectural and building industry. And that's that, that's that kind of midwifing that we're, we're aiming to do. Um, and I think that we fundamentally believe we're, we're, we're aligned. We're just out of phase. And so it's a, it's a, it's a tweaking rather than a full disruption that we're after, um, mm -hmm. but it hasn't happened because it's embedded and people are busy and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're both solving, <laughs> we're trying to solve problems that have real impact. And so I think we, we want to leverage the two, the, the best, the best energies of both industries. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, I, I really appreciate the, the candid disclosure, if you will, that it's a project that's underway. It's a process. It started. And really, you know, to you as as uh, two of the founders and to all the founders of ASA, I think you, I don't know if lucked out is the right thing, but you certainly hit around the right time. I mean, earlier than 2016 would have been even much steeper and probably would have been um, too daunting to even start. But here we are in 2023, and I think global the, the recognition of society that we're under a global energy transition and that the, the global economy is switching from its fossil fuels to renewables as its key source of energy. Um, you know, we're not doing biomimicry, but we are running off of solar much as nature does um, with the caveat that nature also runs off of a lot of energy from the earth's core, but that's, that's another subject. So as a mechanical engineer, Chris, and I don't think that means you're a structural engineer, but, you probably naturally gravitate toward the the material side of the building and this idea of a building being a prosumer um it comes to mind for me not just a consumer of energy but a producer of energy but to do that you need to put energy producing panels on it and chris as a mechanical engineer is there any fundamental like challenge or difficulty to supporting the solar panels on the facade or on the roof and we can get into that too. Yeah. Um, so ironically, I am a structural engineer uh, as well as being ah. a mechanical engineer. So ah, okay. this is, you know, a topic that I get asked quite a bit um, by architects yes. uh, and engineers, you know, how much do we have to plan for, for adding solar to a building's roof? Right. Um, it, you know, dead load on a building structure is a, a topic typically more so on a roof than on a facade because um, the facade translates far less, you know, dead load, um, vertically, uh, than, right. uh, than, uh, horizontal surface, then horizontal surface. So, um, generally speaking though, I mean, if, if, if you plan for like the worst case would probably be around 10 PSF of dead load. Um, but the, the great news is, is that there's a lot of, uh, products on the market today that are, you know, tailored um, to a, a structure based on, uh, you know, how much capacity that structure has. So you can literally say, all oh, right, there's this much added capacity in the structure. Um, we will 
uh, tailor a ballast count to meet that load and pepper in attachments to reduce the load. So mm. uh, a, a solar system can be as low as say three PSF on a roof. So three pounds per square foot. And then if you add ballast block instead of mechanical attachments, that that uh, weight would probably go up to 10 or 12 PSF maximum at, you know, in the highest wind load uh, zone. So the systems can be tailored uh, mm-hmm. as long as you have, like if you had a five PSF, allotment you could make solar work um and if you give it 10 then you give the solar installer a lot more flexibility to be able to use a ballasted system i got it i'd actually like to explore that just a tiny bit more um i mean as a an enclosure consultant i don't want penetrations through my water control layer on the roof but i also can under appreciate that adding structure is adding cost which is adding deterrent to putting a solar on a building um are most people going ballast or like Discuss possibly a little bit of the trade-offs between ballasted and with attachments. Yeah, so attachments are expensive. Um, you know, to get mm. uh, an attachment installed, uh, it, it's usually around, uh, I would say, around one hundred and twenty bucks at attachment in you know Whoa. labor to get to get those attachments installed, um, and the that, that's a big adder especially when you're you're looking at a large area um with a lot of attachments um and then you typically have to coordinate with the roofer with every attachment so uh when you when you install solar on a flat roof for that roof to hold its warranty uh, the roofer really needs to be coordinated with because they could quickly if you just throw a solar system up without coordinating with the existing roofer they could quickly say hey you know our warranty is null and void so um, each one of those attachments requires coordination with the roofer if you're going to do it right. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of complexity there. So a ballasted system really streamlines things uh, from a, a process perspective, as well as just a labor perspective. Got it. Good. Okay. Going back to you, Stan, um, we talked about this, the uh, the richness, let's say the, the, the challenged full richness where the architectural industry meets the solar industry. And, um, there's a term that uh, one of our engineers at Positive Energy, David McFalls, coined the uh, Mr. Potato Head model of solar, which, you know, it's implying that you build the building and then you just pluck on the solar ears. And that's that. Like, so to your point, Chris, yeah, you need to pluck those ears on in coordination with the roofer at the very least. But we really want to go back to the fundamental design of the building and, you know, really make this a more poignant situation where the building is producing its own energy. But so the question to you, Stan, is like, are we still in the Mr. Potato Head model of solar years? Are we moving our way out? What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a it's an apt uh, apt counterpoint. Um, I, I mean, I would I would argue that Mr. Potato Head, solar is not the only scenario in which Mr. Potato Head you know becomes the protagonist. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, I you know actually picking up where what, what Chris mentioned when he when he began to describe ballasted and attaching the you know the, a very practical um, you know, design requirement and the question coming from the architect, you know, what, what pounds per square foot do we need to plan for? Um, I would say the, you know, the Mr. Potato head either shows up, it shows up depending on when that question is asked. Um, Mm -hmm. oftentimes Mm -hmm. if it's, um, I mean, if it's asked at all, um, in the design process, let's say all the way to, you know, the permit set is being issued next week. Um, well, we have a fighting chance to do something. Um, we can coordinate a little bit. 
Um, if you if you if you pull that back, and that that would be sort of Mr. Potato Head with a nice wig, um, and um, <laughs> but 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 likely you would inherit all the missed opportunities to have coordinated um, just to get a basic um, you know kind of level setting of how the system would go in. If you if you pull that question back, maybe not that specific question, but that line of questioning, let's say to the initial project narrative. Um, where the, the, the owners, the architects, the designers, maybe the GC is involved in, you know, kind of modeling. Um, and you ask that question, then you get a very different set of results. Um, you know, the, the thinking gets embedded into the process. And um, it's kind of difficult at that point to produce a Mr. Potato Head um, because it's, it's part of, can be, yeah. it has the opportunity to be a part of the DNA of the project. Um, you know, the, the challenge is, it's, I, you know, from one perspective, the solar industry has always only known Mr. Potato Head as yeah. the way things happen. Um, it's a, you know, we are resetting the infrastructure of the company, of the country and the world by working on existing stock by and large. And so I'd say that the habits of the solar industry are just as embedded um, as maybe the, um, the blind side mm-hmm. of the architectural community. Um, and that's so we're kind of need to work from both sides um, so that there's a there's a chance to have that that shared conversation. Um, I think it's important too. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, what we would consider um, architectural solar is, um, you know, solar that is aligned with goals of the building and the processes to produce that building and can have architectural significance. And I think we're. Chris and I and ASA really make the point is that, um, you know, a rooftop ballasted system that's well coordinated from our perspective is, is just as meaningful and just, just as, you know, victorious as a fully integrated BIPV, um, you know, wall assembly that has been, um, you know, specifically engineered for one building at a time. So, it, it's good that we, we, we start to put some, some guardrails on how we, you know, what our ambitions are in terms of getting an active energy system into the building in a manner that's not, you know, um, kind of backward looking. And um, I think Chris is right. Like that question, you know, how many pounds per square foot um, is really pivotal and it does change how people think about buildings, but it's oftentimes it could be a 20 year old building and they're asking that. And it's like, it's, you know, our options at that point are incredibly limited and mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. to look, you know, pretty Frankenstein in terms of how it's deployed. So, yeah, I think t- the point is, that I think the timing of that conversation is absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, just a quick comment, like it's not just solar that right. sometimes right. is left out of an integrated design process. And, I think one of the changes that's occurring culturally is that owner goals uh, are really looking for greater number of dimensions of quality of the building, right? So they want really good indoor air quality, they want incredible views, uh, and they want you know on-site energy production and storage. And I think people are rightly recognizing that to build a building today that is not at the very least provisioned for energy production and storage is a missed opportunity. Um, and even that includes homes and an integrated design. There's this beautiful kind of phrase E4, everyone engaging everything early E4. And 
Instead, it's so tempting just to kick things down the road. Like we're busy, the fire hose of information coming at us as members of the design team, architectural team. So I think really the, the fact that owner's goals are changing is a, is a secret, like a tectonic force. Okay, well, good. So we talked a little bit about the difference between 2016 versus 2023. You have any specifics, uh, Chris, on what's different today versus in 2016 when ASA was formed? Yeah, the, there's there's a lot different. Um, today, we we see a lot of movement on the corporate side of things uh, with ESG goals, um, environmental, social, and governance goals um, of corporate org- organizations. Um, folks have a desire to incorporate renewables in their projects uh, from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's driving architects to ask questions when they're building out the goals of their projects. At the same time, there's a whole host of progressive municipalities across uh, the United States that are requiring that solar be part of new construction projects, both both residentially and commercially. Mm -hmm. Um, On a a residential uh, timeline, that means that solar is usually thought about one year in advance of construction. And on a commercial timeline, that can be three to four years in advance of construction. And so uh, architects have questions about solar, about how they have to integrate solar into these projects to meet the requirements. Um, and they don't have the answers to the, the questions unless they implement experts. And so we're really focused on trying to uh, give them the tools they need to answer those basic questions early on in the design process. Yeah, here, here. And so... And Christoph, I would, just, I would just add to that that... Um, what makes that particularly challenging is if you look at the speed of evolution of the solar industry itself from a technology price reductions um and then the the regulatory requirements around mm-hmm. you know the electrical systems themselves like you know a three to four year design and build schedule for a single project you would be in a new code cycle um likely the change in technology has been um <laughs> You know, not just in degree, but in kind as well. So, um, and those requirements, um, you know, nothing is grandfathered. So everything's moving very rapidly. Um, and frankly, it works, it can work against a project as well. If somebody is looking at solar two years ago and they got, they just got the wrong answer, you know, or it was, um, uh, it wasn't sensitive to maybe how a project needed to be adaptable over time. They just don't look back, so that chapter is closed. So the relationship, I think, that Chris is is also inferring is that um, your access to information has to be um, suited to the time in the project, such that it doesn't jeopardize the project's ability to stay on track. Um, solar is not a one size fits all, and mm-hmm. over the course of time, um, a design, a system needs to be moldable enough to not be, you know, obsolete by the time it's done, nor, um, you know, unavailable. So this is, we're at the time period, you know, when, when, uh, when there were, a th- I think there were 1800 car makers, you know, and then there were three the next year. We're still in, we're still in that kind of that, uh, the, the carboniferous time period where there's a lot of diversity and, a lot of a lot of movement in the industry so that's that's a burden we have it's exciting it's dynamic but 
it's a strain for uh, you know, project designers, architects, and, and builders that need certain level of certainty and predictability. Yeah, yeah. Could could you explore briefly the, what you meant by getting the wrong answer? Um, was it like too expensive, too much area needed, or what do you mean by the wrong answer? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think Chris and I both have experienced this firsthand. Is um, the solar industry is is typically driven by a has been by a pretty narrow charge. Solar should make sense financially and Within that, there's there's all kinds of flavors, all kinds of business models that can produce the, you know, the the right formula. But if the conditions aren't just right, um, a lot of companies in the solar industry, the business models, they're just not, they're not. Uh, it's it's not like they don't understand it. They're just the business model itself is not capable to think, to to operate laterally, and say, well, if we explore this other solution. There may be other values to unpack. And I'm thinking like how to integrate solar, even like a carport, you know, an integrated um, yeah. cover over parking space, maybe not the most intuitive thing. And, and, you know, eight years ago, it was quite rare. Um, but if someone said the only thing we can do is X and that doesn't happen to line up with the project goals, then it's, 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 it's the wrong answer because it's closed that door. Um, and I th- I would put that sort of squarely in the, you know, in the solar industry as being, you know, not as adept or supported to right. explore, you know, uh, an option set that gives tools to a designer, architect, owner um, to consider what are the trade-offs? You know, what else do we get? What are the other values that are accessible? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So just jumping back, Chris, to your, your two pulls of solar into the architectural design process, these corporate goals, the owner goals and progressive municipalities. I just wanted to kind of round that out. Like that's a growing pull, right? That is not a flash in the pan. That is like, what do you, any comments on it's that? It's just growing. It's just growing. Yeah. Absolutely. Getting um, stronger over time. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, uh, there have been, you know, progressive municipalities, but, you know, it's kind of becoming commonplace in a lot of places. Um, you know, it was started in California and, you know, California, California, uh, ha- requires solar on all, uh, commercial new construction as well as residential. It's happening in, uh, certain municipalities in Colorado. It's happening in Manhattan. Um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, just more municipalities are going to stand up and have climate goals that are going to be, uh, driving, you know, their, uh, building departments. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And I know that the, the converse holds as well is that like, so states like, um, West Virginia and Mississippi that are sort of have backward facing value preference systems when it comes to energy supply, their energy costs are tremendously high relative to the rest of the grid. So these progressive communities, there's, there's sort of getting to spike the ball and do the chicken dance and go, yep, that was the right call. Um, yeah, money, as you said, Stan, right? There's a, there's a financial um, aspect to every design process. So getting back to the architectural side of the situation, right? So we talked about ballasted versus fasteners on the roof. What about the facades? What about the vertical surfaces of the building? Um, I don't think I'm comfortable saying, like, are they 50% of the value of a roof as far as solar production? Are they... Well, it depends on north, south, east, west, I guess. Yeah, I I think that, you know, the good metric that I use is 50 to 75% of a south facing 
10 degree tilt up flat roof system. So uh, hmm. that's, you know, on a per panel basis. But, you know, the other thing you have to take into account is the fact that you can utilize in certain instances, you can utilize all of that area um, without any intero shading. Whereas on a flat mm-hmm. roof system, mm-hmm. you know, you have to tilt modules up. So that doesn't, um, we're, when we're saying 50 to 75%, we're really just looking at the value of the surface, mm-hmm. um, not taking into account the, the overall density of, so the density of the array on a flat roof, um, when you take into account all of the spacing for um, fire access and all the different constraints, it's around 12 watts per square foot. Um, if you that that's kind of the number I use. If if someone gave me the square footage of a roof, I would say multiply it by 12, and I bet you could fit a solar system of that size on on that roof. Um, in with a the, the solar panel itself is can be in the 18 to 20 watts per square foot range. And so uh, depending on the window to wall ratio, you know, the, the, there's a good potential for those wall areas to have higher um, or, you know, similar production, they would be able to close that 50 to 75% of production gap. Um, the other thing to uh, keep in mind is that you only have so much roof area. So if you, if you have project goals stating that you need X amount of um, energy on the building, you need to find it somewhere. And the facade is just the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the other thing that's great about facade technologies is they're, they can match demand uh, better than a rooftop system. So yep. rooftop systems are typically going to overproduce in the summer and underproduce in the winter. Um, and if you want to time, uh, you know, the or match demand of the building, the east or west facade could do a great job at that. Excellent. Yeah. And then there's the just the basic math. You mentioned, say, Manhattan there. Um, the roof on a one story building is serving a, a, a far smaller volume, which energy density of energy load, which is proportional to volume than a four story building or a 40 story building. Right. So you start to bring the facade exactly. in and you get that scaling. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the best um, reference point for this is, you know, net zero construction is really easy on one story warehouses. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder for every story that you add. Right. Because you're going to have the same roof area mm-hmm. relative to the floor area. So um, facades enable net zero construction at two to three stories. Yeah. Whereas a rooftop system alone on a three-story building typically cannot do it. Um, mm-hmm. So. It's, yeah, and, and yet yeah. the ESG pull on a warehouse is probably less. It's probably a slightly different, you know. Not, Ironically, it's not their, yes. It's not their corporate branded space, but yeah, I mean, just as a general principle, it would be great if solar would be, were to be put everywhere where it's easy and makes sense first, and then because yep. that would that would just develop the supply chains and the knowledge and. Yeah. I think I think there's I, and, and Christoph not to not to uh, contradict that, but I think no, there's, please contradict me. You know the um, uh, kind of putting solar where it's best has led us to you know utility scale solar out in the desert, mm. far away, far away yeah, from yeah. Lo- from load. And I think the the lessons. I mean, this is strictly the solar industry, um, kind of following the pattern of the wind industry in Texas in particular, very successful. Um, and it works really, really well. 
Um, so it's been over, overbuilt, overbuilt ultimately. But so the yeah. transmission becomes in, not just an issue like to have enough wires, but it's congested. So there's timing issues. So the economic model of that, you know, put it out where it's best is actually missing the point to say, you know, what a what an integrated building with facade solar, it is it is more like a it's a nerve ending of our entire grid that says I need I need energy late in the day, you know, I, and that's that demand question. So the alignment of the building's logic with the energy needs mm -hmm. and its ability to either buffer incoming or you know supply its own needs, it's a totally different paradigm. So you're actually rather we we kind of think rather than put solar where it's easiest first is is conceive of the building as a set of affordances that have solar resource in different capacities, um, both from a like an intensity. So it's not as, you know, on the West wall, it's not as intense, um, but the timing is far more important. Um, and you start to look at the building kind of holistically. And that's a, that is the purview of, you know, an architect taking their project seriously to say, what are these resources that we can take advantage and how, rather than, you know, what's the, what's the coin operated energy machine that I just need to plug into and solve my, solve it by buying renewable energy credits, for example, all of which like part of the mix. Um, but we think that the architects can have much more agency to say, um, we can solve this really powerfully on site. Um, yeah, and, and that's it's sort of short circuiting the, the grid at some level in a future state. We're getting we're we're enabling that conversation to actually take shape in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I want to I want to fully stand or sit corrected <laughs> that uh, yeah, my intention was just saying within the context of putting solar on the building for local consumption of that energy, absolutely. maybe a warehouse is a good place to start. It would be nice if every new warehouse park it was just de facto that they had um, solar Cra on the building. Great. You know, we and Chris would probably know this more intimately, but you look at across the like if you get out of the snow snow zones in the country, you know, warehouse construction, whether it's tilt wall, it's definitely light gauge open web joists that are designed within the, you know, the one percentile of failure at some level. And so those become really difficult projects. Yeah, you can't get up on that way. roof. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, you guys have uh, gotten this grant and uh, you're moving into the space where there's a lot of leverage, um, you know, the regulatory realm, legislative realm, architectural uh, standards and specifications, design specifications. Um, and yet that's also, it's not just a technology problem at all. It's not just a, what do we do? So tell us about your grant and what, you, what you're doing and congratulations on winning it. I know that took a lot of a lot of paperwork <laughs> and time. Stan, Stan, do you want to handle that question, or do you? Want yeah, to, maybe, yeah, we can. We maybe tag team. So, um, yeah, I think we've been talking about sort of the general issues, you know, between these industries and where our our personal experience um, and ASA, an organization that has been, um, you know, designed to to move that conversation forward. We were um, fortunate to uh, Chris led the. Uh, basically the writing and the submission of a grant to the Department of Energy. And I think they saw um, in what we were proposing a real opportunity to 
um, effectively deliver educational content that's relevant, timely, and actionable to the A&E community, so the architecture, engineering, and, and construction industry to try to lower the set of hurdles um, to get solar into you know, the building practice. Um, so we will necessarily touch on some of those specific hurdles that are regulatory, um, whether they're in the domain of a municipality or federal or code. Um, most of it, most of our work will be to provide, you know, the, the design community appropriate tools to not be stymied by the question, why can't we do solar? And um, it, in a lot of ways, these are some basic principles, but there are also some, you know, design strategies and tools that uh, arm that community to move the conversation forward and not, not rely on, necessarily rely on a, what we would call a solar engineer, mm-hmm. of whom there are, there's a growing number of solar engineers in the U.S., but, but, by, but, but, but not enough. And mm-hmm. we think it's a, it's a, a better conduit to um, really feed the curiosity and the, in, you know, the intelligence of the architecture and, um, you know, construction industry, incredibly sophisticated, mature set of industries that we just, we think we need to give um, a little leg up um, to, to be able to answer some key questions to keep those things moving forward. So it's, um, our work will be over the next couple of years and we plan to, uh, we're working on our, uh, putting out our first publication, one of four, and we'll act as a compendium, um, as well as um, a, a webinar and ultimately we'll be, look for us in the, the green builds and the, um, some of the industry conferences um, to, try to try to try to stir that community towards what we think they're already very working towards. Um, we just, we just, we know that there's a little bridging, bridge building to build or to, to continue. That's Chris, such hey, important you wanna, work. You wanna, yeah. Chris, are you the one writing all these uh, compendiums or how is that the grant? No, we've, we've got, um, yeah. So we're partnered with NREL, which has been oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So NREL has a portion of our budget, uh, about 40% of it. We've got 60% and we're able to utilize their, um, knowledge base as well as their communications team to help us deliver this content and they've been um, great to work with and you know a just an incredible knowledge base to tap into Um, so the the work will has been started uh, via forming a a technical advisory group that um, is a broad cross-section of the overall industry uh, we've got members from the architectural community. Uh, we've got uh, members uh, from the manufacturing side of things on uh, the gla- in the glass industry. We've got um, a bunch of educators as well. Um, we've got a really broad cross section um, that helped that's helped guide us through uh, creating this content. And the, we're going to create four publications uh, that will form the backbone of our twenty credit hour. Uh, solar course and free um, short course that's going to precede that. So the first publication will be an introduction awesome. to architectural solar, a, um, a, a, you know, a broad overview of what we're defining uh, as architectural solar. And then the subsequent uh, publications, the, the three will be uh, design and integration principles, uh, 
implementation principles and then financial principles. And so those three um, will form the backbone of the 20 credit hour uh, course that will be both AIA and NAPSEP accredited. And we're going to be pushing it off through a, a bunch of different platforms. And uh, it will also be uh, part of the DOE's uh, solar decathlon and solar district cup programs. So wow, it'll be required. Fantastic. I yeah. did not know all those synergies and just talk about the, the connection between the two industries, architectural and solar present with AIA and NABCEP. Um, yeah. Oh, actually let's do acronym uh, definition. Could you define AIA as American Institute of Architects? What's NABCEP? That's the North American uh, board of certified energy practitioners. And that is really um, the, the standard in the solar industry yeah. in terms of continuing education credits and uh, certification. So uh, plenty of municipalities now require that solar installers be NAPSEP certified. Yeah, yeah. And it's a crunchy, rigorous certification. It's uh, not just sign your money, sit through the class. No, okay, yeah, good. It, it's, it's a tough test for sure. So Stan, going back to you, you mentioned buffering. You mentioned the word buffering in the context of energy production. And uh, I, I think you meant it with the grid, but does ASA take any uh, oversight in on-site energy storage? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a part of, we consider it sort of one of the dimensions of, you know, future-proofing, you know, on-site storage, I mean, we, I mean, it's really the, under the rubric of resiliency, there's any number of solutions I think that are now um, definitely site specific. So where solar is a, you know, resource you're harvesting storage is now, you know, a resource that you're, you're dispatching in a very particular way. Yeah. And so what the nature of that dispatch, um, you know, how it's managed, how it's controlled, how it's scaled relative to the building still quite quite a gnarly question and um you know asa is not uh we're currently it's it's not a singular focus i think our our work through the doe grant and this award is to set up the scaffolding that was really um build capacity in a team to undertake you know right. not only solar but these other technologies um doe has a fascinating concept of uh, grid efficient building so it's really thinking of the building as a node in the net, in a network that absolutely you know, can actively participate so storage will will necessarily be a part of that i think the i mean where we are with storage you know in this uh, call it the distributed storage paradigm you know we're, we're kind of 10 years behind where solar was in terms of uh production mm -hmm. capacity and cost efficiencies so there's still work to be done. Clearly, EVs are just pushing that envelope. Yeah, know, it's a lot of storage. There's, there's mm -hmm. going to be adjacent efficiencies and benefits coming out of the transportation industry to the buildings. That will be another, that's a whole other confluence of, you know, unique bedfellows. So I think ASA's, you know, central mission is to, again, set up, remove the barriers so that the process and the, the conceptions and the tools um, are right sized and right deployed, and we can we can sort of bolt in, bolt on those technologies. Um, storage is it, it also requires um, an, an incredibly um, sophisticated engineering solution at times. So I think we're I mean our again from our perspective that that is a part of the toolkit, but 
um, not trying to solve that, I think, you know, single handedly. Yeah, well said. You know, the, it's clear to me, at least, that uh, the groundwork has been laid for utility companies to recognize that there's already spending money on grid balancing assets and it, that if they could just incentivize like better enclosures and on-site power production and on-site storage, then that that's a potentially a cheaper way, uh, you know, economically favorable way to achieve grid balancing rather than just turning on a gas speaker plant. And, um, and Christoph, here's just a, here's a, here's a little, uh, an example. This is close to home in Austin. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of represents the blind spot, I think of where, our relationship with utilities and these interactive systems. So a, a little bit of an anecdote, um, yes. we're working on a, on a project. This is through um, Lighthouse Solar. Um, it was an architecturally integrated mm -hmm. project on a, on a building in the central business district, which in Austin, they've got what's called a network um, distribution system. So very particular, it's not Seattle, other major cities, uh, has safety and resiliency built into the grid itself. Uh, which also limits our ability right. to interconnect systems into it because it's oh. um, it's sensitive to you know backflow. Yeah, so, yeah. bidirectional um, power is an issue. Yeah, exactly. And so that has to be managed and controlled. And um, so we we build this system um, with all kinds of controls, three levels of redundancy, to protect the possibility of exporting you know a single kilowatt hour of energy. Um, so it oh turns goodness. out turns out there's regenerative. Um, regenerative elevators in the building, which is quite common. Um, and they have the um, absolute capacity to export power. Um, and there were no controls on that system. Um, so the utility had no interconnection, you know, process or guideline to um, control that system. And it turns out the two together on the same switchboards, this is very technical, um, create a real problem. And so it's the, the blind spot is solar is solar is singled out as having a certain capacity. And we're not even considering that buildings already have that capacity <laughs> in other ways. And so if you look, think of solar as an active system that has certain characteristics, then we consider the whole building as, as we're looking for that across the building. And so those are, that's an example. It's in the weeds, but it's an absolute um, challenge uh, and blind spot of these industries coming together. Nobody asked the question, and now we're at a at a real crossroads. And so yeah. um, that's that's that is down the line, but it's the thing that will show up, and I can guarantee you it will color the experience of everybody working on that project, and they'll say no to the next one. And that's what ASA. Our mission is to say we cannot afford a single no to how we integrate these technologies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. The, the energy codes, the design specifications for buildings are uh, outdated and they need to be updated. And yeah, and you're touching on it, something we haven't touched on. I don't think we really need to go there too much is the, the depth, the magnitude of the challenge we face as a society and, and how pressing this is. We need to figure this out and we need to be figuring it out now. We need, you know, we need to really, and so really thank you guys as uh, change agents, you know, going where there may be dragons. Um, so you mentioned that the four, the four manuals or publications, the arc, overview of architectural solar, the design integration, implementation of financial principles, are they being simultaneously developed? And how do we avoid like freshness dating for, for them? Like you were just mentioning it's such a rapidly changing industry or is it impossible? Yeah, 
the the current plan is to develop them all uh, to a draft uh, uh, pre-release uh, status, and then at the end, um, publish them all together. So they'll go through NREL's peer review process uh, at the end of um, the award period and really be touched up however they need to be touched up, updated, but they'll be released on our website um, as each one is finished in a kind of pre-release format. Okay, good. So we'll, let's, let's go big, just go meta now, big picture. So we have the Architectural Solar Association and could listeners, if they're project architects, could they just contact you for support on a specific project? Or, you know, how does the rubber meet the road with ASA? Is it these manuals? Is it the behind the scenes regulation work? All of the above? Yeah, please comment on that. Either one. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we welcome folks to join ASA and, you know, become members and be part of, a, you know, our growing group of, of like-minded folks. Um, if, if, if folks want to... Um, you know, get input, then they need to kind of share uh, at the same time, if you know what I mean. If they want to mm -hmm. have a seat at the table to, you know, discuss yeah, yeah. their issues, um, we welcome that. Um, so, but, you know, there's, we also have access to, you know, several folks that can also help in any, in consulting capacities. We've, we've got a, a large network of um, solar pr practitioners that are really focused on meeting the requirements of this industry. Um, so yeah, we're a great resource. Excellent. Stan, any comments on that? How does the rubber meet the road with ASA going forward? Yeah, no, I mean, I think our, again, our focus is this is delivering on this, this, this content. And part of that content is, you know, one of the things that's, that's quite real and Chris has done an amazing job to um, survey and collect projects that exemplify this type of thinking and have their, their projects with integrated solar and they're, they're amazing. Awesome. Um, they're, they're kind of hiding in plain sight. Um, it's extensive yet, you know, um, you, you probably haven't seen them. And so one of the things that, you know, this work is to, is to demonstrate the, the basic reality that people are doing this. Um, they're doing the yeoman's work of working, you know, they're, they're making it happen. It's just hard. And so the, the victories that our industries can show need to be shown. So the obvious thing is you have projects that you think are, they stand out or they represent this, uh, the result of an integrated process of design. We would feature those on a database and make that available to others. And just as a, just as touch points to say, um, this can be done clearly Europe yeah. and Asia, there's, there's all kinds of things. It's a different environment. Um, and I said, we really are focused on North America. Um, the, there are some aspirational examples around the world, um, but we want to make sure people know it, it, it is being done here from our perspective, not fast enough and not, not with enough composure because there are plenty of folks, you know, across, across the communities that are committed and sophisticated and they're doing the hard work and they'll, they'll go the extra mile, but we're, we're leaving a lot of people on the sidelines that just, they're busy doing other things. This is a this is a hard task. So, the the, the material we we're putting together, we plan to distribute through um, channels, kind of leveraging the architectural community. But it's uh, I, mean, I think if folks are interested, they should just reach out at least at least uh, register their interest. Yeah. Right now, and it's you, pretty, yeah. No, please. Right now, it's well. And ASA is a a, a nonprofit organization. Are really mission driven to 
deliver on this um, challenge. So, uh, but I think Chris mentioned there's a, a disparate sort of fragmented community of folks that you know specifically can help help people on projects as they're yeah. working through this. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to pivot to you, Chris, but I just want to make the point that I was going to chime in and say the fact that ASA is understands that these buildings need to be architecturally significant, right? It's not just you're put on panels. This is like make an architectural statement, you know, based on uh, education and understanding of best practices to integrate solar. And that's currently one of the, the constraints is that people don't know how to do that. So Chris, putting you on the spot a little, uh, you've collected some projects that are walking the talk. Could you comment on one or two? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I kind of forgot to mention the database, but the, you know, this project database is a really big part of the work. Um, we've currently got uh, almost 200 projects uh, in, you know, in a, a database in Excel format at this point, and then that's going to morph wow, over the 200. next year. Um, yeah, we've got 200 projects in there. We've got high level information. Um, we're hoping to just get more granular on the, the information we have on those 200 projects um, and then add more as well. So I welcome anyone that has a, uh, an interesting project. There's a chance that we already have it, um, but we always um, need um, narrative and uh, you know, feedback on you know, every, every single project. So um, anyhow, uh, a couple of the ones that you know, come to mind, there's been some great projects in boulder colorado we've got really good information on those because i've been directly involved with them <laughs> uh, the, the boulder commons projects have been interesting you know three-story buildings that that are you know pushing the net zero uh envelope and the the project that um, comes to mind is the united Th therapeutics uh, unisphere in silver spring maryland mm -hmm. um, the architects were ewing cole uh, and the Unisphere. I love the name. Yeah, the Unisphere. Uh, you said there was a megawatt on there, a thousand um, there, kW. That's there may problem. be more um, than that. I, honestly, it might be like one point. Yeah, uh, oh, just over a megawatt. There's one thousand thirty kilowatts. Yeah, just over a megawatt. Wow. And there's wall wall integrated, um, or like a a sunshade uh, double skin facade. Um, mm, mm. There's a flush. There's a flush mount on the roof. Um, there's wall mounted PV. Um, there's uh, awnings and uh, as well as a carport. Um, and you know that project is was a good example. You know, there's some adjacent building shade, um, which is really mm. interesting. It, you know, a lot of that megawatt is shaded from an adjacent building, but their choice to you know, make an architectural statement and install solar in certain locations that, you know, may see some shade, um, but see sun for a, a large chunk of the, the day, you know, some, some in the solar industry might scoff at it and say, oh, well, they installed shady solar. But, you know, there, it, there's more to it than that. Um, the solar is a building component for this building and it's providing function beyond the energy production. So, you know, it begs the question, should they have replaced the solar panels with a roof cladding material that didn't produce any energy or should they just utilize the same um, treatment and 
get 50% production out of the solar panel. And they justified utilizing solar in a lot of suboptimal orientations yeah. um, because it just made the most sense architecturally and functionally as well. I mean, a standard roof panel might cost less, but it also doesn't produce any, any energy. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Excellent. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, so full disclosure, I'm building science podcast, right? The parent company and, and funding entity is positive energy. And Stan has been a consultant with us for a long time, trying to help marry this up, solar production. So we're doing this engineering that you were, talked about, the solar engineering, and it's not easy, it's new. But more so, this the, the architect, right? I want to send kudos to the architect. And yet, having talked to architects, it's strengthening their brand. They are a forward-looking, viable organization. But the big thing that's often not mentioned is that they are proud of themselves and they feel a sense of meaning. They, they feel purpose in their work. And I think that's underappreciated sometimes. Like we think, Oh, we're going to, my goal in life is to economically optimize my experience. No, your goal in life is to emotionally optimize your experience. Um, and that's kind of a segue. We, we need to start wrapping up. Um, and I, I would like to pre disclose that I'm going to ask you a question that I would like you to answer not on behalf of ASA, but just on behalf of Stan and Chris, because it's maybe like a third rail of uh, solar politics. And it is the solar is ugly. We, we want solar on our building, but we don't want to see it. Any thoughts on that? I know I just threw a curveball at you. And this is not you. This is just you as people, off the cuff, unprepared. <laughs> Any thoughts? Either one of you. Okay, Stan. Oh, well, that's good because I'm called ugly all the time. So I, I've, <laughs> um, it's not a third rail. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's certainly... Um, you know the the uh, the the tenor of that judgment has changed over the years. It used nice. to be solar is ugly and the door was slamming in our face. Um, so it was it was uh, so ugly that um, you know it's not to be considered at all. Like it was a right. yeah. You were doing this since the early two thousands. Yeah. 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 Kind of. And I think the you know the the architectural community has changed in response to you know, a lot of, a lot of clients and Chris mentioned the corporate, you know, corporate yeah, initiatives. Yeah. Um, I would say even just in the private community, I mean, folks are coming to terms with what this is. So nonetheless, the stigma sort of hangs out there. You know, this is a, it's an appliance. So it's, it's almost like it's less ugly and offensive, but it's more banal and, you know, it's infrastructure. And so mm. we as a civilization, just, we just, we don't want, you know, Think of Richard Rogers and his career, like in the Pompidou Center, like this was incredible, like infrastructural equals architecture, you know, radical and exciting and new. Um, but solar as a banal infrastructure is just not exciting. So I think it's been characterized that way. And it's just sort of stuck in a holding pattern. Um, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, like this is it's an emotive um, currency that we use. And solar, when you start, when you sort of sort of start scratching the surface of why people are interested in solar, and this is down to the, the personal and the psychological. Um, there is a wealth, and it's 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 an infinite reserve of um, emotive power that people are attracted to solar that they just are not. They're not. They're either ashamed of, or they're embarrassed, or they're <laughs> not practiced. They, there's no community to talk about it. And you think about the oil derricks in West Texas. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it produced Dallas, the show, which produced you know, an incredible following and culture for, for better, for worse, but it defined an age. And so we haven't come back around to that, but we, we suspect it's there hiding. So we, we're, and I would say 
from my own practice. Um, I, I don't, I don't rail against that statement and, you know, fight it. Um, but as you start to unpack it and you start to sort of lay out the options, it, it shifts. People are less, you know, offended by it. And then all of a sudden they're really excited by it. So there's something, we call it the magic of solar. And this is literally, you turn something on and it's, it's, it's more than christening a ship. Um, something comes out of nothing and people are entranced. And so we've, we've seen it change for people. Um, but on the front end, it's, it's very difficult. So I'd, I'd say there's a kind of diplomatic side. It's a quiet, disruptive diplomacy that ASA pursues. And I think Chris and I have our, our unique brand of it. But, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't stop, can't be stopped. And so you have to find a way to, you know, uh, kind of bring that statement you know, level it and then sort of rebuild it with new terms. Wow. Um, so listeners, I encourage you to rewind and hear that again. That was bomber answer. So Chris, I, I tough act to follow. Any thoughts about uh, the aesthetics of solar and maybe how it's changed since you started this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think solar panels have gotten more aesthetically pleasing since I've started, you know, they started out as, you know, Oh, that's blue, interesting. The panel themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that they're more they're more aesthetically pleasing than they have been. There's been a push for, say, all black solar modules. There's a lot more of them to choose from now. Um, there's certain attributes of the solar panel itself that have gotten less efficient over the years um, because, due to aesthetics. You know, black solar panels are a great example of that. They operate at higher temperatures, at, at lower efficiency, but yet there's a lot of demand for them. Yeah. Um, whereas... You know, previously we always had white back sheets and had these white diamonds everywhere that um, visually were, you know, difficult to look at. Um, so there's been a lot of change on that front. Um, but uh, that means, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about, you know, an appliance that's on a roof. You know, are um, HVAC units mm. ugly? Yeah, they're ugly too, but they're they're <laughs> necessary. Um, you know, swamp coolers are all over the houses in my neighborhood. They're atrocious. Yeah. You know, the, you know, if, if you were going to design a house with a swamp cooler, you'd, you know, pop up a parapet around it and hide it. Yeah. Um, you know, solar panels are actually have that same exact, um, you know, have that uh, same exact hurdle and they've become more aesthetically pleasing, you know, because they, they have offer an opportunity to be more integrated. And anytime something gets more integrated in whether whether it's the design process or physically integrated on a building, it's going to be more aesthetically pleasing. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot more opportunity today um, to make solar more aesthetically pleasing. And uh, as those projects uh, come up and architects uh, seize the day to make, to make their projects more aesthetically pleasing, they'll, they'll create a, a solution that will spark conversation and, um, you know, change the paradigm uh, as it's changing right now. Yeah, I, I lament that we're, we'll have to do a part two. So I would like to just offer you guys, <laughs> let's, let's get together. But just because we need to wrap this up. But, you know, I realize now, right, there's the Tesla solar roof, sun-powered, certainty, Dow solar, Vivint. You know, there's just this growing list of solar roof manufacturers and, you know, Tesla solar roof kind of stumbles, notwithstanding, this is also coming. And uh, I, I wonder about facades, right? If there's not going to be specific products for building facades that are 
solar integrated. There are, yeah, there are, and there, it's a, there's a growing list in that in that um, uh, yeah. market segment as well. So maybe that's a good a good place to wrap this. I've been trying to figure out a way to bring this in for a landing. It's just frankly the questions keep coming up. It's a very very rich topic. I feel like there was a prescience and a boldness to you and your fellow group of founders back in 2016. I'm really proud of you. Wish you success. And I give each of you a chance for final thoughts or last word. Well, well thanks, Christoph. No, this is uh, we likewise. I think you're you know the the, the building science as a you know, an umbrella over a number of these technologies. I, I've often thought like, um, I feel like we're, we're not breaking new ground, but we're, we're, we're trying to map to some, some, some pathways that have just been weeded over. And I think about like the HVAC industry, also dynamic, changing new oh, technologies, yeah. but it's, you know, it's a hundred years old in terms of how buildings conceive of mechanical systems. Yeah. in this way. So I think we're, we're, we're behind um, and we don't have a hundred years. So, you know, I think we have to be, we have to be bold. Um, we, we don't want to love, we don't want to leave, you know, people on the sidelines. And so it's really, um, you know, the solar industry I think has been built in large part by a lot of innovators, a lot of scrappy um, folks that are um, trying to make this work. And we're, we're always shorthanded. And so we, 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 we need the solar industry. This is a big appeal to, um, you know, uh, uh, join a, a bigger industry with more muscle and leverage the things that we've been learning. And I think in essence, that's sort of it. Like we want to sort of wrap, wrap, wrap a lasso around the sun and, and, and let it pull us pull forward. So I think that's a, it's a kind of humble plea to let us, you know, help lead by following, if that makes sense. I love it. Lasso around the sun. Yeah. Thank you, Stan. Chris, any final thoughts? Well, I just, I just like to thank you guys for all you do. And um, thanks for inviting us to the, the conversation here. And I think that there's a lot to be said for um, your profession specifically and how it integrates with solar. Um, and I encourage you to, uh, you know, spark this same conversation with your colleagues um, in the, building energy uh, industry specifically, because um, ultimately uh, building energy, energy engineers really need to understand um, the bi-directional flow of power. Um, and just here, here. So, solar is just as much an energy efficiency measure as a window. Um, yep. So um, yeah, I, I welcome uh, any of your colleagues that would want would like to join the conversation um, with us, we'd um, we'd love to hear from them. So, absolutely, I love it. Very good comments. Yeah, all all of us, uh, you know, MEP engineers, enclosure consultants, you guys, we're all yearning to move forward. We we know there's great promise and great urgency, and yet we're also operating without a script or a playbook. We just do what we feel is right. So, thank you guys again. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time. 